and welcome to Femme Fandom, the podcast that proves no matter the fandom, you're not alone. I'm Fern, and today with me I have... Hi, I'm Kate. And... I'm Megan. <laughs> okay, creepy much. <laughs> Alright. I mean, that's that is the feeling that I got from the movies that we watched through this episode, so I feel like it's apropos. I didn't feel creeped out that much. Toro was fucking creepy. It was a creepy ass movie. Sundra wasn't creepy. Yes, it was. I don't think so. Yes. All right. If you haven't picked it up already, we're going to talk about some Miyazaki movies today. We had just finished talking about Disney princesses, and during the reign of the Renaissance princesses, some Miyazaki movies came out that featured um, some strong female leads. And uh, so we're going to talk about those today. Studio Ghibli was founded in uh, June of 1985 by Miyazaki Suzuki. I'm going to tear these up. I'm so sorry, everyone. Takahata and Tukuma. Those are all their last names. They had come out with the movie Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, and after their success with that, they came up with Studio Ghibli. The six of the Studio Ghibli movies are the top ten highest grossing anime films made in Japan. Spirited Away being the highest grossing um, worldwide. Won a lot of awards and stuff, and it's awesome. Miyazaki's coming out with some new movies here soon, which should be really cool. On my notes, I wrote some stuff, but now my notes are obsolete because other stuff came out about it, so... We should be getting a new Miyazaki movie in 2021. Yeah. We're going to talk about three movies today. We're going to do My Neighbor Totoro, Spirited Away, and Princess Mononoke. Totoro came out in 1988. Movie's older than I am. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> this movie's a lot older than I am. This movie features Satsuke and Mei, two sisters. Satsuke's the big sister, Mei's little sister, and their dad, and they move into a house in the country. And they have some adventures, and they meet Totoro, who is a tree spirit. If you've ever seen anything with Studio Ghibli, it's He's their mascot. He's the big gray guy with the ears. He kind of looks like a cat panda bear. Thing. Uh, I got more bunny bunny because he's got the, the little like the, the pooky tail, and, and he's the, got the pointy ears. Big things. pointy ears. Yeah, we're putting fingers on top of our heads. Yeah, we're bunnies. Throughout the movie, Totoro helps May and Sasuke just deal with the fact that their mother is in the hospital recovering from some sort of illness. We never really get a good handle on why she was in the hospital or anything, but they keep hoping that she'll come home soon to this new house that they bought, which is. Haunted. Yes, my soot sprites. And they're so cute. And I love them. I love when she caught it. And I was just like, oh, when her hair did the, like, the, like, that's why I love Miyazaki, because he adds those little details in there. It it just makes it feel like a a real world. Mm -hmm. Like, it's very well done. But yeah, yeah, she caught the one. It was like, So, so I remember looking up why the mom was in the hospital during the movie because okay so i'm i'm one of those people that like if a question comes up and the movie doesn't address it i have to know so <laughs> to google i go and it is because she said to have had spinal tuberculosis because oh, i guess miyazaki's mom had also suffered from that and so it was kind of like taking that from his childhood and yeah. bringing it into the, into the film oh yeah. that's cool so that's a theory that's out there it hasn't ever been like a hundred percent confirmed but yeah. it's pretty freaking likely yeah based on the way that she is and i mean a lot of artists writers directors and stuff will take their real life experiences and put them in movies to help deal with them and stuff like that right so that makes a lot of sense yeah that's really cool i didn't know i want to make sure i had the correct diagnosis and wasn't yeah. like she had hepatitis yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not no not that <laughs> that's not right i love that that's the one you picked like of all the things you possibly could have picked your brain spit out hepatitis isn't it spinal tuberculosis isn't that like, like super deadly isn't it it can be if not treated so, yeah so tuberculosis I wonder, I wonder she was in the hospital as a whole was pretty fucking well, deadly yeah. <laughs> like yeah. 
you know. That's why we have to get tested. Well, the movie was set in the 1950s. Mm-hmm. And the dad's a professor, I guess. Mm-hmm. Okay, so. Um, yeah, he worked at a university. University, in yeah. Tokyo. Yeah, so they have to, the girls go to take an umbrella one night. Yeah. And then Totoro shows up. And that's, that's like the iconic scene is Satsuke standing there with May on her back, holding an umbrella. And then Totoro comes up and just like stands next to him with a leaf on his head. And then they hand him an umbrella and he gets super happy about the umbrella. He gets, it's funny, he has a very, uh, not ASMR, but like a tactile. It, I guess it is kind of ASMR because his ears are touching the top of the umbrella. Yeah. So then every time like a big heavy raindrop falls down from the leaf, he does that shivery thing. He does thing. that shiver thing. And yeah. I was like, oh, this reminds me of ASMR and it's really funny. <laughs> so then he makes the big boom and yeah. like all the water comes yeah. down. It's gross. That was a cute scene. Yeah, it is. I, Totoro, I like Totoro a lot. It is kind of weird. I didn't dislike it. It was just very... Like, there were just certain points where I was like, this is super creepy. Like, this is supposed to be a kid's movie, and yeah. I am just, like, really creeped out. Like, the very end scene where they're in the tree with the cat bus behind them, oh, yeah. and they're staring in at the mom... The cat bus's eyes are like these crazy big demon looking things. Well, and I was just headlights. like, this it's the headlights. I know, but I don't know. And so was it the cat bus that creeps you no, out? No, Totoro creeps me out too. Okay. There were multiple times, like, especially that first scene where May meets him and he's like screaming at her yeah, and you're rah. inside your mouth. And I'm just like, what is happening? This when is really My kids first saw that movie, they're like, oh no, she's gonna slide into his mouth! Because he like his stomach goes up and it looks like she's sliding yeah. through and they were they were afraid maybe was gonna like just fall into his mouth. Yeah, and I, I don't know. And like I didn't dislike it. I thought it was a cute movie. The animation, of course, was gorgeous. And then obviously I at least I I guess I should speak for myself. I don't speak Japanese. Yeah. Uh so I watched the English dubs. Dumb. Yeah. Uh which were really, really well done and they had some really great uh voice actors in yeah. it. So I was very, very impressed by that. Sometimes when you get English dubs, they're not the greatest because instead of like taking the idea of the sentence and translating that into a way that makes sense in English, they do a straight translation. And it's weird. And then it's weird and choppy because it's like people don't speak like this and that's not the intent from the Japanese sentence, but you're just taking the literal translation Yeah. instead of going, okay, this sentence is saying, I'm going to go to bed. Instead of saying that, you say, to bed, I will go. And like... It's yeah, just, it, it ends up weird. It's well, it, it worked out well because when Miyazaki approached, I think it's Disney, mm-hmm. to do the English versions, mm-hmm. he was involved in making sure that the dub, the written part of it, was done so it still had the same feel of the movie. Oh, that's nice. So there are parts, and I don't know if it's in Totoro, but it is in some of his other movies where the characters are thinking things. And in Japanese versions, they have an inner dialogue and you can hear them speaking to themselves. And in the English versions, they, they they sometimes always cut those out. Yeah. Or they add them in so we know culturally what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Zach was telling me that he was like, when I was a kid, I must I must have watched a different version than the one we watched last night. Oh, yeah? Because he said that the scene with the cat bus where uh, Satsuke gets on the cat bus because uh, the cat bus is going to take her to his to her sister, Zach said the version he watched just had a really creepy go- robot voice that said, Next stop, little sister. <laughs> but in the version we watched, May watches the like yeah, the little the uh, bus placard ticker, yeah, yeah placard thing. thing switch. She goes, "You're gonna take me to May," and like yeah. that. And he was like, "Yeah, no, mine just had a creepy robot voice that said next stop, little sister.'" I, I was like, funny. "That's terrifying." I wonder if they did 
I don't know. We'd have to look it up, and if anybody out there knows, maybe they did an earlier translation back in like the eighties or nineties, early nineties, and then when they actually released it, like from Disney, they yeah. did a better version. Of well, they had to have because dub. Dakota Fanning does the voice mm-hmm. for one of the little girls yeah. in the version that I watched last night. Yeah, so I think it's both the Fanning sisters. It is both the Fanning sisters. Yeah, yeah. I just don't L is that the yeah. L thing? So if Zach saw this when he was a kid, there had to have been an earlier version yeah. because Dakota Fanning. Is younger than he is. Right. right so, right. so I, I bet that's what happened. Yeah. But yeah, I was just that made me laugh so hard. Next stop, little sister. <laughs> we should talk about Sasuke and May mm-hmm. and how they, especially Sasuke, because she's like nine or ten, and she makes the lunches for everybody. She does all the cooking. Mm-hmm. Well, not all the cooking, but she does a lot of the cooking. I mean, you see her in the kitchen doing most of the cooking. I mean, she did a lot, like, of just taking care of her family mm-hmm. as a 10-year-old. And culturally, I think that's part of the culture, but also, like, wow. Yeah. I think that's a big cultural difference between the U.S. and Japan. Because not only does she do, do a lot of the cooking and cleaning, which is kind of expected for a young girl if their mother isn't in the house. Like, yeah. I think that's a thing that you see in a lot of movies. It's like, if mom's not there, then the oldest girl takes over those responsibilities. Right. So that's not as much as what I'm thinking of, but, like, when they went down to the well to get the water and the fact that they were helping with the chores, like, doing the laundry and the, you know what I mean? And, like, that kind of thing is not as portrayed in American movies with the same light. Because in this movie, it was kind of portrayed as, like, family bonding time almost. Like, it didn't feel like, oh, you need to go do your chores. Like, the dad was there with them and helping them do the laundry and and they were cleaning and, like, Granny was helping and it was just a big family family effort and it right. felt more like a bonding experience than a like yep. not punishment thing but that's a lot of times what American culture kind she's of chores, she's kids, chores yeah, for yeah. kids as is a punishment yeah instead like, of yeah. a like hey you live in this house <clears throat> as well you should also help keep this yeah. house running yep. because that's important for you know us to live right teaches early how to do things mm-hmm. yeah you know? like when i went to college it's like i had to teach some of the, the guys that i was friends with how to do their laundry and oh like, yeah oh. y'all are 18. i knew as soon as you opened your mouth i was like i bet you had to teach people how to do laundry of course i was I doing my own laundry yeah. since the time i honestly don't remember a time where i didn't do my own laundry like i always did my I own was, laundry i was sometime in middle school and my mom would walk me through the process several mm-hmm. times and yeah. she's like now you're in charge of your laundry yeah <laughs> and i'm like Oh, my mom would okay. always remind us like she would start doing the laundry and she would be like okay you need to come down and do your laundry but I always put all my clothes in and yeah. did the detergent and did like I just always knew how to do laundry so it was crazy to me when I became an adult and like my friends were like yeah I've never done laundry before and I'm like <laughs> what do you mean you've never done laundry before yeah. or like dishes I always did dishes as a kid like yeah I don't know the things that I had to learn as an adult were definitely not, like, how-to-clean type things. It was more like, hey, your house doesn't come pre-stocked with pots and pans. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta buy that Yeah, shit. <laughs> like, I, that was just never, like, looking back on it, I'm yeah. like, of course, obviously. Like, I don't yeah. think I thought that it was, but I just never understood like it how those things came into being. They just were. They just were there. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> we ate takeout food for a good two months when Zach and I first moved in together, and I was finally like, we have to go get cooking utensils. <laughs> I cannot keep eating Wendy's. I'm going to die. 
So for me growing up was a little bit different just because, and I was low-key triggered by this movie because of it. Around the time, around the age that Satsuki was, my dad had a stroke. And so my dad, and then had had like four or five subsequently after that. So my dad was out of the house all the time in the hospital and mom was there too, as well as there was an infant in the home. And my little sister is four years younger than me. So I identified very strongly with Satsuki, almost to a bad point. Um, But, you know, like I remember learning how to do all those chores and things and it was out of need not out of just this is a good thing you to know it was yeah. out of like okay mom's not home sis and i need clothes for school guess i'm gonna figure out how to do laundry yeah and not to sound like my parents were neglectful by any stretch of the imagination right. that's not the case i grew up in a very loving and supportive home love you mom i know you listen <laughs> um, <laughs> but like she had so much on her hands at the time yeah no know? doubt like Ooh. she had a, a new baby a husband in the hospital all the time i had to pull my own weight it was yeah. what my job. Um, yeah. There was a little bit of, you know, I'm watching the movie. I'm like, man, this must be like 14, 15. Must look like she's like fucking ten. Yeah. And I'm like, oh shit, yeah. that's me. Because <laughs> I was like 11 yeah. when that happened and acted like a teenager because of it. You just mm-hmm. kind of have to. Yep. You gotta step up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna call me out, low key my ass. You're right. I a hundred percent like broke down Aww. watching it. Like I lost my shit. But we see, had to pause it for a minute so that I could like recover from the panic attack I was in. And, and not that it's good that you had a panic attack or anything, mm-hmm. but it's it says something to the storytelling of that movie that you were able to glean that emotion out of it. Yeah. And that it had such an impact on you. And I think Miyazaki does a really good job with all of his movies with that, where you really connect with the characters and you're like, oh, you know, mm-hmm. you really love them from the beginning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're involved in their story and you're like, yes, I'm here, I'm present. Like, yeah. this is a good movie. Yeah, no, it was an incredible movie. I've seen other movies where a parent is sick and out of home and it's I don't have that reaction to it. I'm just like, yeah, I've been there, done that, they'll survive. Yeah, you know? they'll get there. Yeah. yeah, they're fine. You know, and then this one, I was like, oh fuck, <laughs> like, oh no, yeah. I can't breathe. Like it was, it was rough. Yeah. So switching gears from talking about like the emotions in this film because I think we've explored that a lot and I think that Miyazaki does a really good job and focusing more on like characters. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that interests me the most about this movie and these characters is that it didn't feel different because they were girls, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes you watch a movie and you're like, if these were male characters, it would feel totally different because because they're obviously playing up the femaleness of these characters. Okay, yeah. So in this movie, it was like, if these were two little boys, this movie would feel the exact same as it is that it's two little girls. And now I'm not saying we should have switched it. Obviously, I think the representation yeah. of having the two little girls is very important. Yeah. But I think that that says something about the way that these characters were written as people and not as genders. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, no, I, I agree. I think even a step further than that, if they had switched which parent was in the hospital, it mm. wouldn't have been much different. Yeah, no, I don't think it really would have changed much. So, like, so that in a lot of movies, it's like, well, it depends on which parent is home. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's the dad that's at the house, you know, they're kind of distant and whatever. And, you yeah. Know, but that, like, stereotype of how a dad is, and then you've got the mom who's whatever, and it just didn't. Yeah. It just didn't feel that way. The relationship that they created between the dad and the daughters in this movie was so adorable. It was so delightful. And I think one of my favorite things was watching this movie and being like, these girls are so fucking annoying. (laughs) But also, like, their dad just let them be kids. Yep. Because I feel like a lot of movies try to downplay how annoying kids are. They're wonderful little monsters, but oh my gosh, sometimes you're just like, dude, 
Like, I am done with you. Yes! And in the beginning of the movie, when these girls are like running around and screaming at the top of their lungs and tumbling and flipping over each other and just like being being kids, the dad's just like taking it all in stride and is just like, oh, okay, hey, we we hit the stairs to the house. Can you go find the stairs and open the window? Such a parent move. I was like, oh my god, that was the smartest thing. Can you find the stairs? And they're like, it's, oh, it's perfect. Yeah. Because that's exactly what you would do as a parent. If yeah. your kids were annoying you, you'd give them a task. Mm-hmm. Like, go do this thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was picking up my youngest from kindergarten, and the mom was trying to get the three-year-old in the van. And she's like, who can get in their car seat first? And he was like, me! And he runs into the van. And I'm like, yes, such a parent move. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. do this thing. It's I was, a challenge was now. And yeah. just, like, having that relationship between the dad and the daughters and the daughters being allowed to be kids. Because that's another thing I think you don't see a lot in movies that portray young girls like this is them being kids. Yeah. Because little girls are taught to be more buttoned up and more have more manners and sit still and be quiet and yeah. listen and like they were not given that directive right. at but all they during were, this movie. But they were still respectful. Yes, and that was another father. thing. Like they great. were they were still being kids, but they weren't jackasses. They weren't mm-hmm. you know jerks. Which I think if some movies when they give they make kids be kids, they make them jerks. They make them jerks, and that's not true. You can still have kids that are behaving as children, but still be respectful and listen to their adults. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite part with the dad and and the two girls is when they're in the bathtub mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they hear the noise and they're like what is that and then Sasuke gets back in the tub and he's like ah and he starts laughing and it's really, really weird really weird face <laughs> but he starts laughing and they're like why are you laughing and he's like oh if I'm scared you just start laughing and then the fear goes away and so they're all sitting in this this steamy bathtub just laughing, laughing, mm-hmm. yeah. just to, to get their fear away. And, and him teaching them that without without teaching them that, mm-hmm. you know, and just being a parent to them yeah. is amazing. Well, and also not discrediting fear. Right. Okay, yeah. And, and being like, oh, I'm a man, but I'm afraid whether or not he actually was or not. But, yeah. like, taking on that persona of, like, I can also be afraid, and this is what I do to yeah. deal with it. Because and I think that's a thing that a lot of parents in movies are portrayed as, is like, yeah. oh, you don't have to be afraid of anything. Well, no. Right. Fear is natural and normal, and it is something that you should have. It actually is very important for your survival to be afraid of things. Yeah. Very, very important. But... If it is a fear that is not rooted in reality, like a creaking of a house, here's how you deal with that. And he didn't discredit them either by saying, like, oh, don't worry, I'm here. I won't let anything happen to you. He Mm. was giving them tools to deal with their their emotions. Yeah. Well, I mean, parents won't always be there. Mm -hmm. So I love that that was how he handled it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's super tempting, like, even as teachers, like, it can be super tempting to be like, oh, don't worry, we won't let anything happen. We got you, no worries. When the reality is we aren't always going to be there. We can't guarantee that every adult in their life is going to be someone who's supportive and protecting. Yeah. I'd rather them be prepared to deal with themselves. Give them self, uh, what is it, self-agency? Self, mm-hmm. yeah. Self-agency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Over themselves. So yeah. they can deal with things as they come along and come up. Yeah. So, yeah, Miyazaki is awesome. He really he puts is. so much stuff in all these movies. Yeah. I really enjoyed, too, this movie didn't have a real romantic interest, but then there was the little boy that was oh, obviously was had name? a crush on Sasuke. I don't have him written down. I'm looking. I can't think. But, yeah. But, like, I just thought it was really cute that, like, he had a little crush on her, and you could kind of tell, and, like, the way that they portrayed that through the movie, <laughs> Oh, the umbrella. Just shoving the umbrella at them or shoving the basket at them. Yeah. Like, it was content. 
that's it. Yeah. But that type of like crush and how it was portrayed with him is very much a ten year old. Yeah. Like I yeah. have these feelings. I have no, no idea, idea what, what they mean. I don't know what to do with them. Girls are still supposed to be yucky. Right. And but he's like, I had those feelings with this person, so I'm gonna distance myself because I don't know how to handle this. And yeah. he, he hides at one point, he was on yeah. the porch and he hides yeah. and she she shows up and he his refuses house. to tell his mom where his umbrella yeah. is, even though he did a nice thing yeah. because he doesn't want to admit that yeah. he was nice to her. Like it's it's just, very cute. It's very cute. But it's not it's not the main focus of the no. movie. It is a very small, small side piece. Yeah. And she never she doesn't even. I don't. I don't think she. She barely even it. notices. Yeah. Like, she just always gives him a look like, "Why are you acting so weird? Yeah. Like, like right. what is wrong with you?" Yeah. And um, she takes the umbrella and says, "Thanks," and he runs off, and she's like, "What? Okay, now we have an umbrella." Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> like so no, it's it's really well. Done. I just thought it was cute to see a, a boy being able to portray feelings like that, yeah. and then also the very like on point portray portrayal of like prepubescent teen yeah. crushes because you. No idea what you're doing, and you're just like, eh, eh. yeah. Well, it was nice also to see it as not the boy picking on the girl as a way to show love uh, yeah. or yeah. attraction. That is yeah. that's absolutely that's, a thing that happens in yeah. every fucking movie. That's an American that's trope so. for sure. Yeah. yeah, and that drives me crazy when people. It is very, very damaging to tell little girls that boys like them if they pick on them. Yeah, yeah. because so. then when they get older and their husband beats them, or their boyfriend pressures them to do things that they don't want to do, or whatever, they go, oh, that shows that he really loves me. Because when they were younger, they were told that if somebody picks on you and hurts you, that's a sign of affection. Beauty and the Beast. <coughs> oh, Excuse man. Oh. Sorry, Sorry, what was that? I had something in, the, in my throat there. Well, there <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you got it out. <coughs> some, to- <laughs> some toxic. <laughs>
Well, he's Miyaz- just, Miyazaki did a lot of other movies too, but mm-hmm. we're not going to talk about all of them. He did Castle in the Sky in 86, 1986, which has two female leads and two male leads, which if you haven't seen it, excellent, do it. I love all these movies. Castle in the Sky, it's beautiful. Then there was Totoro, and then in 89 he did Kiki's Delivery Service, which is Kiki's a witch, she's a black cat, you might see a lot of memes and stuff with them out. The little black cat is adorable. Right. It's oh, the most adorable. He's so sassy cat. in the movie too. Yeah. Oh my god. I've only his seen snark, bits and pieces of his that snark one. and sassiness through that whole movie is so great. <laughs> um that's another one where there's a hint of a love story between the two kids, but it's not a big thing. Mm-hmm. And so that harkens back to that idea. The next thing he did was Porco Rosso, which I haven't seen, but it's a pig who flies planes. Okay. It's a big departure from his usual stuff. I was about to say, that's a mood. Yeah, it. I, I haven't seen it, so we'll see. Maybe I'll watch it another time. But then the next one is 1997 with Princess Mononoke. I loved this movie. <laughs> it was so good. It's so good. This was the first Miyazaki movie I ever saw. So I was in college at art school. Oh, mine too. And uh, I walked into the student lounge and they had it up on the big TV. And it was already a couple, like 10 or 15 minutes in. So I didn't catch the very beginning. And I sat down to eat my lunch and I was like, how much break do I have? Can I watch the whole thing? And I sat there and watched the whole thing. It's awesome. I love it so much. Yeah, it's very, very good. So it it starred Prince Ashitaka and his village gets attacked by a demon boar, which is really freaky looking. But he ends up killing the boar, but gets curse on his arm. And the wise woman says, hey, to find out what happened with this boar god, you need to go to the west, I think she said? Yeah, go out west. Go find out what's going on. And so he had to leave his village, cut off his hair. It was very uh, dramatic. Dramatic, yeah, very dramatic. So he goes out there and he meets Lady Aboshi. Um, she's the leader of Iron Town, so she's the first like strong female lead we get in this movie, and she's awesome. We can get back into her in a minute. He meets Asan, who rides the wolf goddess Moro, which is awesome because these wolf goddesses. She's huge. She's white. She. It's really cool. And then there's a whole thing. Iron Town versus nature and the uh, the great forest spirit, which looks like a deer with giant antlers and weird face. A weird face. Lady Aboshi's trying to cut off the head of the great forest spirit to gain power and stuff, and it's this whole thing. And it doesn't end the way you think it would. But that's the general overview of it. I don't want to give away too much. So thoughts on uh, Mononoke? You said you fell love in love this. with I love the this movie? movie? Yeah, I do. Not surprisingly, there were big joy vibes. Vibes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, of course, I loved it. It just was so good at showing not black and white. It it, it did a really good job with the the shades of gray. Hmm. I'm not articulating it very well right now. I know what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. You know, so, like, the Lady of Boshi. (laughs) She's, like, this amazing woman, right, who is taking in lepers and giving them a job and getting giving women jobs so that they don't have to work in a brothel anymore and this, that, and the other. But then she's also turning around and, like, destroying nature and so it's like this this weird like it shows that potential for good and evil in every human which is such an important thing and so many movies make you either one or the other they don't play with that tension of yeah the both you know and it's just 
I love that. I love seeing characters that are that way and are more than one dimension or two dimensions, you know, like yeah. like an actual person. Yeah. Ashitaka gets there and he learns all about Eboshi and what she does and everything. And he's like, oh, okay. And then he meets San in the forest and he's like, oh, but Eboshi is killing the forest. And so then, then he is split between trying to keep both parties from killing each other or harming each other. Right. And there's that one scene where San's like coming over the rooftops and then she lands in front of Eboshi and they're fighting and he catches her on and takes her back to the forest to her uh, the wolf goddess or whatever mm-hmm. but he he does it in a way where nobody gets harmed and he wants to try and keep the peace and things like yeah. that and yeah well and it's so cool too because i mean you know this movie it's definitely about human versus nature but it's also about human versus human because mm-hmm. um, there's that those scenes where there's the the samurai and yeah. iron town yeah who are fighting with each other and because they both want there's another lord what's his name lady aboshi is in not in war with but in competition with lord somebody yeah but like just how interesting that is that like the two of those kind of go hand in hand Mm -hmm. because if they weren't both trying to destroy nature they wouldn't have the competition to be with each other but how those two it's just so good yeah so complex and so good i loved everything this movie basically takes every narrative conflict and puts it in one because they do man versus god like very blatantly <laughs> like yeah. man versus god there are gods and there's man and they're fighting man versus nature man versus man man versus self because ashitaka san and lady aboshi all have to come to terms with different things about themselves and where they fit into these societies and stuff and yeah i think at the end if ashitaka doesn't go home he stays in iron town doesn't so. he yeah well he's not able to go home Oh, that's right. Yeah, the, the wise woman is... hair, he can't go. He wasn't allowed to back. Yeah, go back. Yeah. He wasn't a prince of his village anymore. He couldn't go back. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right, because his sister was so sad when he rode off. On the elk. What was the elk's name? I love the elk that he rides. I can't remember the elk's name now. Such a good... <laughs> producer will look it up. But, uh, but now he couldn't go home. Yeah. So sad. Which I didn't understand. Why not? Like, there has to be a reason behind it. We don't really get that reason. Yeah. Maybe, at least not expressly Maybe. to the point where I understood it. Maybe just because they are closed off society and they just... Maybe. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah, cool. cool. That's right. Yeah, cool. Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. He's so cool. He is so cool. <laughs> that was bad. That was bad. Oh, I, that I was approve. Bad. So bad. Megan, what did you think of Mononoke? Uh, I, I really enjoyed Mononoke. It was good. It was... It's been a minute since I've seen this one, and it was a lot more abstract than some of the other ones mm-hmm. are, so I don't... I think this is one of those movies that you have to see multiple times to appreciate all the different layers of mm-hmm. what is going on. Um, But I do definitely agree with Kate that I think that this is probably one of the best villain villains. I'm using air yeah. quotes because she wasn't, she wasn't necessarily a villain. And I think that's one of the things mm-hmm. that I, I enjoy about movies when they do this, is like showing that like everyone is a villain to someone. But then if you turn around, you know, and look from a different perspective, that person's no longer a villain. Right. Because it's like... The, like you said, there's, there's potential for good and evil in, in all people. So, I mean, I, I just love it from that aspect of, like, there is no clear-cut villain. Everyone is doing good things, and everyone is doing bad things, and it's kind of left not completely to the reader, because I think Aboshi is kind of more heavily leaned on as the, like, bad guy, yeah. again, with air quotes. I think you definitely see more of the bad aspect of what she's doing versus some of the other characters, but I think you could make an argument for almost every single character being a quote-unquote villain yeah. in this one. So I think that's really interesting. I think this is the only one we're talking about that actually follows a male character instead of a female character. Yes. Which didn't downplay the female characters, which sometimes happens in movies. 
series. Yes. It was more, it felt more like he was thrown into this world of female characters and kind of had to deal with it <laughs> than what a lot of movies do where the man enters the female world and then changes everything. Yeah. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you have this kind of dynamic in other movies, it's like man meets woman and then immediately changes everything about woman and woman's surroundings, which I think happens a lot in Western movies that have this same yeah. structure. Yeah. 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 Themes. Mm-hmm. Themes. Yeah. Something like that. So I also think that's interesting that the, the ladies kind of can stand on their own whether or not yeah. he's there. Like, you can definitely tell that if he were there or if he wasn't there, these same things would be happening. He's just kind of there to record it, almost. Like, yeah. he's more of the narrator than he is, than he is than a main actual, yeah, like, yeah. main character. He does participate in a lot. Yeah. No one is a sexy lamp. No, there is no sexy lamp. I don't think there's a sexy lamp in any of the movies that we're going to talk about. No. Because there's definitely not one in Totoro, there's not one here, and there's not there's one not in one Spirit Away. Away. Definitely not. And obviously all these movies are Japanese movies, so I feel like the way that the animation style is on these, you can make an argument that they're more Western-looking characters. But technically everyone is Japanese. Yeah. So, I mean, people of color, Yeah. the whole thing. Like literally the (laughs) entire everyone, the entire movie. Like Yeah, I mean if you're if you're watching it as, you know, an American or a white person, yeah. Mm. Then you would see that as all color, people of color. If you're a Japanese person watching it, you're like, oh, look, it's me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, like, which is representation. Just yeah. 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 So that's awesome. Yeah. Miyazaki always does a really good job with just the animation style mm-hmm. and just like the beauty of all of it. Oh, yeah. by, by the time we've gotten to 1997, they've started to use a little bit of computer stuff, but he still hand draws a lot of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So he has his animators hand draw a lot of the, the, the cells and stuff. Which is amazing, because if you watch these movies, you're like, this is really pretty. But they hand drew it all. Mm-hmm. There's so, something, the, the detail and There's stuff something to be said about that, yeah. though. I think that we're in an age now that computers and CGI can do so much that doing it another way is kind of more looked down on. It's like, oh, you draw everything? Yeah. But at the same, like, there is such a beauty in someone looking at a scene that they've hand drawn and being like, it took me six hours to draw that tree. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and just the, the like, detail that you can get into that. And yeah. Stuff. But I think we're very rapidly moving towards that not being a thing anymore. Yeah. And it being, like, kind of like what Claymation is, where it's a very, like, niche yeah. subset art form. The one thing Miyazaki is lacking in all of his movies, and it might, or at least the ones that we're going to talk about, I don't know about every single movie, I haven't seen them all, but it might be the age of the characters, maybe, but there's no LGBTQ characters at all. That's true. And I don't know, I guess I can't even really make the argument about the age because there is the the playing on the crushes and things where yeah. you know, ten year olds. So it's not and yeah. that's the time that you do it. I'm not saying that that's like a bad thing. Like yeah. that's when you start to realize boys and girls are like people that you are attracted to are different. Yeah, and they give you different feelings and yeah. you don't know what to do with that. Yeah, yeah. That um, is that is the age for that. So I'm not saying that that's like bad, bad or anything. Yeah. But yeah, there's no But also like in a lot of movies there is like bits of love interest but there's never like a love interest story no no Um, like it's not like the main arc of the movie yeah like even in this movie ashitaka and san you get that feeling that they kind of could have a thing going on Mm -hmm. um and there's definitely a lot of love between them but you it's it's never really said like oh they're romantically 
his right. love. Yeah. You know, it's okay. it's a lot of caring and he does really care for her and and stuff like that, but it's never specifically said, Oh, they're in love. Mm-hmm. You know, even at the very end it's just you know, he waves to her and she's on the mountain or whatever. And yeah. that's kind of it. Yeah. And I think that's something that I can really appreciate in these movies because I personally don't need that. I know that some people do to to be interested. They want that kind of romantic relationship. But for me, so many of them just fall into bad tropes mm-hmm. that I would rather have something like this where it's where it's more ambiguous and it's also way more focused on the love of friends. Yeah. Than it is on the romantic side of stuff. Yeah. So. Um, I did want to talk about Lady Oboshi and how cool she is because she does have she she brought in the women to work the the bellows mm-hmm. and the one scene where they're working the bellows and Ashitaka is like, oh well, that can't be too bad. That's not that can't be that hard. And he goes over to start doing it and he's like sweating and he's like, this is rough. And they're all laughing at him and yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> And they and then those ladies don't take any shit from any of the males in that uh, village. Mm-hmm. Like the the males are like ribbing on them and stuff, and they're going right back with jabs of their own. And like I think it's great. I love the the community that is is, is beautiful. And mm-hmm. I think she does say something about the women all being um, from brothels, like she rescues them or something mm-hmm. like that. She's built more of a matriarchal society almost, but yeah. not but not the same way that like we live in a patriarchal society. Right. Like, that makes any sense. I, I guess she's built more of an equal society where it's like women do the exact same thing that men do mm-hmm. as long like everyone does to their ability mm-hmm. instead of well men big strong so men do bellows and women weak women so women do home like yeah you know it, it's more of like these women have the ability to work on the bellows so they work on the bellows and nobody's gonna give them any shit about it because that's what they do yeah they're strong enough and they're they're willing to do the work so they can do the work. Right. But I don't feel like it ever was at the expense of men, which is kind of what you think about when you think about a patriarch- patriarchal society. It's men at the expense of women. Mm-hmm. Whereas in this, I didn't see it as like women at the expense of men. It was just people to their ability. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that she found a lot of women that wanted to work really hard and make well, money and pr- provide for their families. Instead of being in a brothel, it might be a better deal. Yeah. And But that, that type of viewpoint for Lady Oboshi also translates into her having the lepers, where the lepers can't do much. I mean, you get a, you get to go up and you get to see them in their little their hut and where they're living. And a lot of them are missing parts of their limbs and mm-hmm. they're wrapped up. But they're still making guns for Lady Oboshi. But... She she like there was the one leper that was laying down and couldn't move but they were still talking to that person and they suck seek his advice mm-hmm. on something and he couldn't provide physically to the community but he was still part of the community through his knowledge and so it speaks back to that everyone can do and provide to the core of the community in their own way to their ability mm-hmm. um and Eboshi's awesome like that yeah. Yeah. It sucks that she chopped down half the forest, but... <laughs> yeah, I think this is definitely... You know, that black and white gray area thing. Yeah. Uh... yeah. This is a movie that I think is really good about... It'd be a good conversation about compromises mm. and talking about, like, okay, obviously cutting down half the forest is not a sustainable thing, like, and it's not good. So how could she have compromised with people better? You know, so then she could have been happy and they could have been happy. And talking about how a compromise is not, I get what I want and you get a little bit of what you want. It's, I get some of what I want and some of what I don't want. 
Yeah. You get some of what you want and some of what you don't want. Because I think when people think about compromises, they forget that part of a compromise is swallowing something that you don't want. That mm-hmm. is the, the point of a compromise. I think there's a quote somewhere, I might be misquoting it, but it's like, you should walk out of a compromise feeling like you lost. Yeah, and that that's exactly what a compromise is supposed to be. Yeah. Both sides should walk away feeling like they lost. That's a good compromise. Yeah. Because that means that you had to give in to something that they wanted, and they had to give in to something that you wanted. And does that necessarily mean that you've come up with the best answer? No. Because no. you both could be seeing not seeing something else that completely factors into it. But it's going to get you a lot closer to a good answer mm-hmm. than just, you know, fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting and wiggling and controlling and, you know, doing all the things that our modern political system does. After Mononoke, he did, in 2001, he animated and did Spirited Away. And then there's a couple more after that, which I'll talk about real quick. In 2004, he did How's Moving Castle, which is awesome, too. That's the one I've seen. I've it's seen a castle that. on the legs that walks around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that one's weird, but very cool. It is very weird. It's very strange. Um, and then after that, is, uh, he, in 2008, he did Ponyo. Also like, very Yes. Very, very. My kids love Ponyo. They sing the theme song all the time. The little girl who's a fish and then she comes up and she has legs. It's very, uh, it's the same idea as like Little Mermaid, but better done. Yeah. And the the characters are like five and six years old, little little kids, Mm -hmm. and they're hilarious. I love them. Um, And then after that, in 2013, he did The Wind Rises, which is good, but very long, and it's a very slow movie. So only watch that one if you are 100% awake. <laughs> and then something's supposed to come out in 2021. So here's hoping that that comes out. Which is funny because he retired and then came out of he's retirement. Re- he's retired no less than three times yes. at this point. And then he keeps Let's coming out of retirement because he's like, I have another story I needed to tell. Exactly. And that's what he says in one of his quote and one of his uh, interviews. He's like, well, yeah, I was going to retire. But then I had this story come to me and it needed to be told. Mm-hmm. And he's like, so I need to do this. And yeah. they and Studio Ghibli's just like used to it now. They're just yeah, like, come yeah, on back. Yeah, it's fine. They just Let's open the door, it. like walk right in, go do the thing, man. <laughs> a lot of the Studio Ghibli movies are awesome. Because the they follow the same the same type basic of pattern. Yeah. Yeah. The Cat Returns is another one from Ghibli that's really good. It's a weird one about going into this world of cats. They walk on two feet, they wear clothes. It's it's great. That was one that we were just like we were watching it and we were like, huh, alright. <laughs> sure, why not? Sure. Um, there's one back from 1988 called The Grave of Fireflies. Only if you want to cry, watch that one. It's very, very sad. I was about to say, it has grave in it, so I'm pretty sure. The whole movie is just so sad. It's two kids, and they have to try and stay alive during the war, and they don't have adults to take care of them, and they end up both dying. Oh, no. Um, of malnutrition because they can't get enough food and the older one's trying to keep the younger sibling alive and he dies and the older one's just bereft in grief and buries him in a grave of fireflies on this hill and it's just it's so sad it's a good movie it's just really sad that is the one thing they they do a good job of they don't really shy away from the real endings you know what I mean like I feel like a lot of western movies American movies kind of more that quintessential Disney happy ending. The the thing I always think of about that on that topic is in Tarzan where um, Clayton dies, but mm-hmm. Tarzan doesn't actually kill him, but he gets hung, and you don't actually see him get hung, you just see the shadow briefly. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is a bad thing, but look over here, happiness! Yeah. Where a lot of these Ghibli movies are like, yeah, this is a bad thing. The mom's in the hospital. Mm-hmm. 
we don't know if she'll be okay. Mm-hmm. How you deal with that? Yeah, you know, yeah. Princess Mononoke. Like, here's all oh, this is war. Mm-hmm. People die. Mm-hmm. Um, Lady Oboshi loses an arm at one point. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, lepers. This is what a leper is. Yeah, you know, like you yeah. get like these big ideas, but they're done in a way where you know kids can kind of understand and kind of start getting those big ideas, yeah. and it's not shied away from. Well, that's like the thing in Totoro. They kind of leave it as the mom's still in the hospital. Yeah. Like if you watch the credits, the end credits, there is a there is a little picture of them sitting in bed with mom and she's reading them a story. But like you don't really get any answers about like mm-hmm. that. That could be you know they said she was gonna come home for a home visit. That could have been the next weekend at a home visit. Or that could have been at the hospital. Or that could have been yeah. you know what I mean. You don't really ever get a definitive answer. And I feel like in a lot of media that we that we indulge in in America, there that there's no room for that. People people want to know. People want to know, right? They want that epilogue, right? Exactly. And like, I can appreciate that as a person who likes information. Like, I am an information hoarder, and I oh, can't yeah. let something be until I feel like it's resolved. And like, I know that about myself. But also, like, I feel like these movies do a good job of making it feel like it wasn't important. That's probably not the right way to put it, but like, it's not necessary to feel fulfilled in the story, I guess that's the way to put it. Whereas like a lot of American, or things that we watch as American, if you don't get the answer, you don't feel fulfilled. You're like, oh, I I need that next season to explain to me what wasn't explained already. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, the story feels complete without that extra epilogue information. Right. Like, would it be nice? Yeah, it'd be nice to know what happened to the mom and if they, you know, yeah. got back together and they all got to live in the fun little haunted house and see Totoro for the rest of their <laughs> lives. Like, that'd be great. Yeah. But I felt fulfilled in the story, although it does end pretty abruptly. But I also think that's because that story doesn't follow the classic narrative arc of, like, there's a villain and, you know, conflict with yeah. the villain and we defeat the villain and then... It's kind of more just exploring feeling. It's yeah. not a movie about overcoming something. It's definitely a um, man versus the world kind of story. Yeah. Because it's more about the feelings and, you know, dealing with growing up and taking care of a younger sibling and all this yeah. stuff. But, yeah, it, you felt fulfilled without needing that extra bit, whereas I don't think you get that as much in yeah. other things that we've well, like, well, even Mononoke doesn't really end with a now they live happily ever after bit either. Yeah. It's just Aboshi's like, well, yeah, I'm going to rebuild Irontown. And San's like, well, yeah, I'm going to still live in the forest with the wolf goddess. And Ashitaka's like, well, I'll live in Irontown and I'll visit the forest. And then it's like, done. And you're like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah. It feels like we're going to be back in this cycle. Again. Yeah. Like, we're going we're gonna, to yeah, we're gonna be fighting again. But, but also, like, how indicative of that is the world? Yeah. Like, we have a war, we end the war, we think we resolve the war, everything's good, and then all of a sudden we're back to what we were doing before because we didn't actually address any of the problems that we had before it all right. started. Because that's just human nature. That's the way fashion works and media works and ideas work and, you know, everything goes in cycle. Everything. Mm-hmm. We don't ever really get off this roller coaster. We just kind of tweak it in a different direction. Like because of Yeah. I think that one of the things that these movies are really good about is showing how the human nature is treating symptoms, not diseases. Yeah. And how we tend to, like, you know, we're talking about that cyclical nature of things. The reason it's cyclical is because we only ever treat the symptom problem. We don't ever actually treat the disease problem. Mm-hmm. 
and how it's kind of gently calling us out on that, mm-hmm. you know, with the, those endings. Mm-hmm. It's a very gentle, like, hey, the reason we're that we don't have an ending here is because there was no actual resolution at the mm-hmm. end of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the feeling I got every time we finished one of these movies was... They was, all end very abruptly. Yeah. It's yeah. like, you, you feel <laughs> like you're partway through the movie and then suddenly it's over because there is no... Yeah, your adventure is over now. Goodbye. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. yeah. So that's interesting. Spirit Away. Spirit Away. Spirit Away came out in 2001. Um, it's a story about Chihiro. She's 10. We see a theme with uh, Miyazaki with his younger, not even like even younger than Snow White, who was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, but he, I think he treats all of these female characters a lot better than that. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, she's moving to a new home, so she's riding in the family car, and her dad takes a shortcut, and they get lost. And then they, his, her mom and dad are so bumbling. They find, like, a tunnel, and they go through this tunnel, and they end up in this weird little village thing, and his, her dad's like, oh, it must be an old theme park. And you're looking at him like, maybe, but I didn't think so. Probably not. And it, like, it's weird, and why are you here even if it is? But they find this, uh, like, outdoor uh, restaurant that has all this food. And when I say all this food, I mean enormous quantities of dumplings and all sorts of stuff I can't name. And there's like no one around. And no one's there. No one is in this whole village. And the parents just start eating. And they turn into pigs and Chihiro trying to find a way to rescue her parents so she gets a job at the bathhouse that the spirits go to and she has to uh, work there to work off her parents' debt for eating all this food that was meant for the spirits. And she meets Yubaba's the witch that runs the bathhouse. She meets Lin, who's another worker at the bathhouse, and she meets Haku, who's a spirit himself. Which we um, don't find out till later. Yeah. She goes through a lot of hardships at the bathhouse. She has to change her name to Sen. Uh, and eventually at the end, she's able to rescue her parents and they get to head home. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more in between that, but we can talk about that as we go. <laughs> she's 10. Mm-hmm. She stands there and watches her parents turn into pigs. <laughs> It's so weird. Yeah. But but they are they're acting like pigs, so they turn into pigs. So. Yes, and like and it's a it's a natural extension of what is going on. But like as an adult watching this movie, I know like I saw this when I was an adult, so I don't know what it would be like as a kid. But as an adult watching this movie, I'm like, in what universe do you sit down at a table and there's a bunch of food and you're just like I'm gonna eat this shit. Like, yeah. Where? No, well, the dad makes a comment because Chihiro's like, it's not our food, it's not our food, we're not, you know, and his dad's, or her dad's like, don't worry, we'll eat what we want and we'll pay them when they when they get here. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. I'm but misquoting still... it, but he says something like that. Like, we're gonna eat and when, you know, the owner shows up, we'll give them money back. Yeah, but what if that was like, with that amount of food? There's, th- there was this, tons of food. This is my food service background coming in. I'm like, man, that could have been somebody's wedding that they had been catering. That's like a giant catering order that someone ordered for their office party or for their birthday right. or like this is my food service background coming in yeah. like no if that food is set aside for something then like if you eat it that fucks the entire restaurant right. like you but, have no idea what the intention for that food is it's right. not like it's sitting out on a buffet yeah like they had to go get it you yeah. know what i mean like it's not like it was just sitting on the counter yeah. for people to take or anything like that like they had to go behind the stall and like get into the food, didn't they? No, they sat down at the benches. So when they walk up, there's just bowls and bowls and platters of tons of food. Mm. And what it's supposed to be is offerings to the spirits. Okay. It's spirit. It's you know. And I think if I remember correctly, if I'm wrong, somebody tell me. We say that all the time, but I want to be clear and tell us if we're wrong. I think the bowls and the platters are specific, like offering. Oh, okay. Vessels. Right. So like this is. 
Yeah, this is an offering. For uh, Yeah, um, I see. And in that aspect, the dad probably and the mom probably shouldn't have eaten the offering. Right, like, uh, you, but... Um, well, they're also from a different area, so maybe they didn't know. Yeah, so it was different. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I think that's a cultural difference that I don't... Yeah, and Miyazaki and the Studio Ghibli team does a really good job of making sure that if there's a cultural difference, they're able, they put in little snippets. So for westernized audiences, they can, they can catch those cultural differences and kind of make sense of them. They don't wipe them out, which I appreciate. Like yeah. they don't replace them. They just they just they tell you about it. Yeah. So that might be something that just is lost in translation, basically, mm -hmm. um, between the two cultures. What I do like about Shihiro is her character development from that point, watching her parents turn into pigs, where she's this ten year old that doesn't want to move and is upset and blah blah blah. Yeah, she's kind of whiny. Yeah, she's kind of, and she is annoying and she's super whiny. To at the end of the movie where she seems more confident because she had this huge adventure and she seems more confident in, in herself and she gains all this experience. Mm -hmm. well, so I think it's also a very good point of like experience is useful mm -hmm. because I think that a lot of people don't put as much stock into that anymore where it's like oh you should just know how to do everything. Right. I think that's what a lot of people think now because we have like the internet and we have blah blah blah. You know what I mean? Like we have so many resources available to us but like there is nothing that can replace experiencing something mm -hmm. and I think that also shows in her how her mindset changes because she goes from like being kind of whiny and annoying but also think about it she's a 10 year old who's moving for the first time or yeah. at least that's the, the impression that I got like she's probably terrified and she's probably taking that out you know in the only way she knows how and that's by whining and complaining and she doesn't know how to process any of that, but then she goes through this whole experience of like being in a new place and having to meet new people and make friends and deal with obstacles and like all this stuff that happens to her while she's at the bathhouse. And then she comes out the other side and like, of course she looks at it differently now. Like I just got through that. Yeah. I just got through my parents turning into pigs and being a servant in a bathhouse. I think I can handle a new school. Right. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? So like, I think that's also a very important lesson from this movie is right. like there is no substitute for experience and that's the that's the big push for like that gap year between high school and college sending mm -hmm. these 18 year olds out to work and see the world and be a person uh, you know for a year before you're dumped into college if you go to college um to try and pick a career because like right out of high school i didn't know what i was doing like i got a scholarship to art school so i went there because i got a scholarship like that's not you know so so there yeah there's a big push for experience and experiencing life and getting out there and gaining those that knowledge yeah that real world knowledge yeah and Miyazaki does a good job of showing that for chihiro mm -hmm. like starting out at one point and she comes out on the other end a totally different person with all that experience under her belt. I think he does a really good job in all of his movies with character development mm -hmm. and changing how they see things from the beginning to the end of the movies. Mm -hmm. And again, not over-feminizing the characters and over-emphasizing that they're women. And not, there There was no, because in a lot of movies, there'll be the male character that comes up and they're like, oh, you're so like emotional mm -hmm. when something is happening. There was none of that in any of these movies that we watched. Of yeah. like someone telling them they're being too emotional or they need to calm down or you know, oh it'll be okay I'm gonna handle it for you or any of that stuff yeah. like every character was allowed to experience their emotion the way that they experience their emotions and react to them the way that feels natural and normal to react yeah. and then figuring out maybe how to do it in a better way 
Yeah, Chihiro at one point is very upset and she's hiding and she's, you know, she's curled up in a ball and she'd been crying and she's very upset. And Aku comes over and he gives her the rice triangle. Uh, I don't know what they're called. Uh, they're called something. Onigiri. Yes, I think. I'm pretty sure it is because my boss at work eats it. Oh, yeah, the, yeah, the, the, yeah, the rice calls, triangle. He calls it Onigiri. But he comes up and he gives that to her and he's like, it's going to be okay. Here, just eat this, you know, and he's, he's not like saying, don't be sad. He's just like, you know, this is the stuff we have to do. And he's telling, you know, he mm-hmm. helps her through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she does go through that point where she's just a mess because she doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. And that shows up again, too, is when she's in the bathhouse and they're like, okay, well, first you're going to clean these floors. And she's like, okay, I can clean floors. But she messes up a few times, but then she gets it. And then they're like, okay, well, you have to take care of this client. It's the uh, it's that river monster that stinks real bad. Yeah. And they give it to her because she's the new girl. Mm-hmm. And they're like, here, you got to take care of this guy. And she's like, oh. But she does it. She figures it out. Mm-hmm. So doesn't she end up like helping him too? Because he was only like that because there was something. Stuck? There was so much pollution. Yeah. Um, Miyazaki is a big after Mom and Okay and all this is a big proponent for nature and the environment and stuff like that. Um, he values it very highly. So the fact that the monster in this is just, he stinks because he's a river spirit that is just so polluted. Yeah. But she ended up saving him because like there was something that was stuck or There's something. There's a bike. She yeah. like pulls the, the it out of him. Yeah. And he... she, gets, she gets like all the bathhouse. They're all holding each other's backs and they're all like pulling and pulling and pulling. Yeah. And, and then when it finally comes out, all the muck like falls away and he comes out and he's like this like glowing like thing and like, water spirit yeah. which looks really and he, a lot I more pretty does he drop a lot of money or something or he gives her a big tip or something yeah he does something nice for yeah. her yeah but uh you said you wanted to talk about no face one of the other spirits in this yeah. uh, movie i was fascinated by no face so i walked into all these movies having never watched them before this hmm. so i have no background on any of it like i've never seen them before and i'm like what the fuck is this character i've always seen no face everywhere like for some i've actually seen no face more than i've seen totoro Really? In terms of like the stuff that's out there, people like to dress up for cosplay. Um, I think Adam Savage was, was no no face. Um, for San Diego Comic Con one time, possibly. Yeah. Um, and he snuck out and he was giving people gold coins, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I think so. And they were chocolate. But, yeah. yeah, but people were giving them back. Because mm-hmm. in the movie, if you take it, then No Face grows and yeah. becomes evil. So people were taking them and then going, oh no. And then giving them back to him. And he didn't 100% understand, I guess, at first or something. And then yeah. he realized what was going on. And yeah. he was like, oh. Yeah. So yeah, that, that whole yeah. interview with him about that is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So if you get a chance, look it up. It's very funny. But, so I was very interested in it because I'm like, what in God's name is going on here? And so I looked it up and it's like, no base is literally potential is who it is it's like just very much a an empty slate and reflects back what is going on around it and how um so like in the bathhouse there's a lot of greed in there and so that's why it just it like it, it personified that greed and got bigger and bigger and bigger because once you once you give it to greed once all it does is grow and then you start seeing then like towards the end when he's in or it is in a home that's like loving or whatever it just it yeah, yeah. He ate cake and he just chilled so and ate cake. He just chilled and was like very. This is where it belonged, you know. It's just like so cool to see that personified potential. Mm-hmm. And again, kind of going back to that part about like there being that potential for good and evil in every being. Yeah. Um, I really, really enjoyed that. I think that's an interesting. I don't know if it was intended this way, but you 
when you were talking about like oh once you get a degree you know it happens more and more i think it's a very interesting comment about like the current political system and the mm -hmm. way that capitalism runs mm -hmm. uh, it's like once you give into something once like the way we've given into like corporations and things yeah it kind of becomes a snowball effect that gets harder and harder and harder to stop and people get you know more and more and more hurt by it so i think that's a that's an interesting parallel that i don't know if miyazaki meant intentionally I mean, um, but because you're commenting on human nature i think you could find those kinds of parallels in a lot of places i think he's a he's a very smart director and story writer where i wouldn't doubt that he intentionally puts stuff in there like that right because he's very invested in his story and that's why he's been, you know, retired three times <laughs> and come back because come back, yeah. he loves these stories yeah. and writing them and directing them and making them into the vision that he wants. Yeah. So it would not surprise me at all if he meant to make those pieces in there and put those things in there yeah. as small as they are. Mm -hmm. I think this is another interesting example too of there not being a real clear cut. I guess Yubaba. Yeah, Yubaba the witch. Yubaba the witch is kind of the villain in this story, but they bring in multiple quote unquote villains, but they're never really villains. It's just these poor spirits that have had either bad things happen to them or like in the case of No Face, has the environment around them that is just not conducive to who they are. And there again is another good point. It's like if something, if you feel like you are turning into a person that is not good and you don't like who you are, then maybe it's not you, maybe it's your environment and you should try a different environment. Right. Mm -hmm. And I know that I've had that specifically like in workplace environments oh, yeah. where yeah. I've left a workplace and been like, wow. Feel like a totally different person but it's it wasn't necessarily because i had changed it was because the environment that i was in was changing was affecting the how you, i was yeah, your yeah. perspective and the way you viewed, viewed yeah. the world but i thought that i think that's another very interesting thing that he did where it's like there is no good or bad quote unquote it's just kind of yeah the what you do with like even you even you baba the witch the the proprietor of the bathhouse i mean she's not the nicest of people and she makes some very questionable choices throughout <laughs> the movie yeah but like in the end she's running a business you know mm -hmm. and um she's i mean you kind of see her as the villain but not not 100 percent. she's just kind of that's who she is mm -hmm. Um, and she's not necessarily trying to be a hundred percent mean all the time. It's just this is her business and this is what she does. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like yeah, once again there's no there's no villain. Yeah, there's no clear cut villain. Which is so much of real life. Yeah. Like there are very, very few people that you can look at and be like, that is a villain. Because even <laughs> if you look at, you know, millionaires and billionaires and these people that we see as like quintessential quote-unquote villains you know sometimes they give money to charity and sometimes they've helped impoverished families and you know sometimes they've you know done all these other things and like i think that miyazaki is a little bit more ambiguous than real life i think there are instances in real life where we can point and be like that was a really bad guy um yeah and just clear cut no question like that's yeah. a villain but i think in a in day-to-day -day life the people that you are going to interact with on your day-to-day -day life that you see as quote-unquote villains you know like a bad boss or you Somebody know cuts you off in traffic yeah see or, people or, yeah know. exactly there are other things going on that you might not necessarily know about right. you know your bad boss may i don't know uh volunteer at a soup kitchen every sunday 
or you know what I mean? Yeah. Like there's never just one side to most people, people and most of what's going on in the world. Well, even a step further than that, um, maybe they don't volunteer to soup kitchen, but maybe they're going through a really bad divorce. Right. You know, like you never it's that it's that whole thing about you never know what battle a person's fighting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of and battles everybody is. A yeah. lot of battles are invisible. But then on the other hand, on the other side of that, it doesn't excuse being a bad person. And I think that this points that out too, because she actually has a conversation with No Face where she's like, you can't act like that. Mm-hmm. You can't do that. That's yeah. not okay. And No Face kind of gets this like sheepish, like, well, and, you know, yeah. No Face doesn't talk, but Ryan He does talk once he gets that very terrifying mouth underneath his mask yeah. and he asks for more food yeah. and he's like more food and you're like oh that's yeah. that's really scary yeah um but, but he doesn't actually have any conversation no or anything at any no point. yeah and he does do the like uh, uh, trying to give the gold to people as it like materializes out of his hand yeah 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 but yeah no i think that that's a, a valid point as well where he doesn't excuse behaviors but at right. the same time, Explains. it does allow it does allow there to be more than just black and white. Right. Yeah. Because there is no just black and white. Right. In real life. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Things are very. I was about to say. I feel like it's, it's more fortunate than unfortunate yeah. because I don't know. If it were fortunate, I think it would be fortunate if it's black and white because in that sense, it's like you are obviously bad. These people are obviously good. I don't have to spend my time dealing with you. I can just focus here. But at the same time, that doesn't allow for any growth in the person. Yeah. So yeah, I do think it's probably fortunate. No, the thing that, yeah. yeah, the yeah. thing that I would worry about is getting into a um, a situation. There's an anime about this. I didn't watch it, but a situation where people will start to try to predict who's going to be good and who's going to be bad. Oh, and then the a... minute that you are bad, you'd be written off. Oh, Minority Report. Yes, that's the movie. I didn't see that. Oh, so they um they create a machine yeah. to predict if you're gonna if you're gonna make a do a crime. Mm-hmm. If you're in 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 the prediction, they can go and arrest you for your future crime. Yeah, this even is what this you, anime is. I wish even though you haven't exactly done it yet. Minority Report. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then the guy who analyzed... Was it Tom Cruise? Yeah. Okay, he analyzes it and finds out that he's... Pre-crazy. Pre-crazy. Tom, yeah. Tom Cruise pre-crazy. Oh! Yeah. oh, Tom Cruise pre-crazy, not in the movies. No. Yeah, no. well, he finds out that he's going to commit a murder or something, and he tries to erase it. Psychopaths. Off. That's the name Psycho- of the anime. Wait, Psychopast? Psychopast. Pass. Yeah, psychopaths. I believe is what it's called. But it's it's the same, same idea where like they can see your if you're future be crime. Bad. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then they can take you out before that's gonna happen. Yeah. Interesting. It's so an yeah, interesting that's, idea. That's the thing that I would be worried about if we were in a in a a world where everything was one or the other, because then you end up in a situation where everybody's like, well. Obviously, we live in a utopia if we just got rid of all the bad people, but then there's that whole yin and yang thing. You can't have one without the other. And I'm not just saying that to be, like, philosophical or anything. Like, think about it. You would have no concept of good if you had no concept of bad. Yep. Like, there, everything that you have a concept of is because you can compare it to something else. And if you have nothing to compare it to, it just is. There yeah. is no, there's nothing to it. Mm-hmm. So we would be bored out of our fucking skulls. Yep. Because we have nothing to compare there'd be, to. There'd be no conflict. There'd be no, uh, there would be nothing. There'd be nothing. We'd no it stories. Would, we would, it would be, yeah, you, yeah, there'd be nothing. 
And you know, maybe I'm maybe we're wrong, and maybe there is some sort of a utopian world out there where you can have one without the other. But honestly, I cannot. There's no thought experiment that I can put into my brain. Smart people, please tell me a thought experiment I can put in my brain and make this work because yeah. there isn't one that I can do. If anybody can think of something, let us know. But this is yeah. another one of those movies where they kind of play Spirited Away uh, is where they kind of play at a maybe romantic yeah with, interest, with but then Shigeru it doesn't really and... ever. Shihiro and Haku. Yeah, but yes. then it doesn't really ever materialize, but not in a frustrating way, because sometimes that does get frustrating where they're like, will they? Will they? Will they? Will they? Yeah. And then just nothing ever happens. Yeah. This is more of a like, it didn't need it. Well, it also harkens back to Kanta from Totoro, where Shihiro's obviously, she's feeling some feelings towards Haku, but he ends up being the spirit, and so she kind of has to let that go, and she ends up helping him, and, and I think it does end up more being like a like a platonic friend yeah. love than it does a romantic one. I was say, it's gonna, it would be like fucking Twilight if it was, because he's a goddamn river. Again, it's just another thing that Miyazaki does very well, where there's a hint of a something, and it doesn't need to be explored beyond that. Yeah. That's the kind of thing when we were talking about Elsa and Honeymaren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That kind of thing would have been nice to see. Just yeah. a little, we didn't need to explore it, Yeah. but like what they did in these movies, where it's yeah. like the, the handing of the umbrella, or in this one, her and Haku, Haku or, yeah. you know, stuff like that. Like, just that little bit of something. I think if we had that more in other movies, it would really add a lot of depth to movies. Well, because it's, it's like you can have those feelings towards people and it can be fun and exciting, but it doesn't mean that you have to pursue anything. And that's the other thing is like, like not every <laughs> flirtation ends in true love. Right. But that is the the kind of messaging that you see in these types of in these types yeah. of media sometimes. Especially when you're talking about media that is in nerd culture. I don't know why, but for some reason... I think it harkens back to the the fairy tales, the old fairy tales, all the, the old Disney movies where it's like, oh, I just met you and I love you now. You know, mm-hmm. I, get, I have these feelings, so obviously that's love, and so we should get married and have kids. Mm-hmm. Like, so I think it... it goes back to those very first stories yeah. that came out. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I think, again, that these movies just boil down to these girls do everything that boys would do, but without it being like, hey, big flashing lights, we made a girl character, hey! Right. Like, because I feel like that happens a lot with movies in Western culture where they're like, oh, look at us, we have a female lead, look how great we are, look yeah. how exciting we are. And I don't get that same feel from... Well, Miyazaki has a quote, and he says, many of my movies have strong female leads, brave, self-sufficient girls that don't think twice about fighting for what they believe in with all their heart. They will need a friend or a supporter, but never a savior. Any woman is just as capable of being a hero as any man. Mm. And I love Miyazaki. Mm-hmm. Uh, just out more and yeah more oh that's good right. i really love the the pointing out they may need a supporter or a friend because there's so little in this life that we can do by ourselves right so little that we can yeah. just do by ourselves without any other kind of community around us right so i think that is also a very good and poignant point like poignant in point. in totoro totoro is the support for the girls mm-hmm. and then in mononoke ashitaka even though he's like quote unquote the main character he's actually the support for aboshi and song mm-hmm. and then Shihiro's support is Haku yeah um and Lin even and a Lin. little bit yeah, yeah. and the, the the furnace guy the boiler man uh, yeah. oh, with all the arms he was odd more set sprites um, and she gives them the the um sprinkles the mm-hmm. star sprinkles yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, they get all excited. <laughs> so sprites are real cute, guys. Yeah, they, yeah are. they are. It's such a simple little thing. Oh, I know. Like, so they, they, they have little cute eyes. Yeah, and, and I think that's the other thing that I really appreciate about these is that the actual designs of all the characters are not, like, the human characters are Cuban, and, like, yeah. that's hard to draw and do, obviously. But most of the other characters, it's like, Totoro is like a giant panda bunny cat. Yeah. But, like, if you actually were to sit down and draw Totoro, like, Yeah, his outline's pretty simple. Yeah. Like, like Totoro, you could draw. Same thing with the soot sprites, like, you make a little scribble with some eyes. Like, yeah. I think they they took the characters and made them simple in their design and gave them big emotions which helped make them very like relatable right and real is not yeah. quite right but like real with like i mean like with the soot sprites i mean they are very simple they're black dots fuzzy little black dots yeah. with eyeballs mm -hmm. sometimes with arms and legs um but like just like little stick arms and legs yeah but they have so much personality for just being these little black fuzzballs yeah like even just in totoro when they're buzzing around the house, mm -hmm. like as they leave the house, they're chittering to each other. So yeah. like you can tell that they're like happy little spirits, mm -hmm. you know, and they're given a lot of personality. Was it Mononoke that had the little woodland spirits? The, the tree little... spirits? Yeah, uh, with the, the, the Kodama. The, the Kodama, yes. yes. And, and they, they move their heads and they, they rattle. <laughs> yeah, they're like, <laughs> yeah, those guys. I love Kodamas. Yeah, yeah really the cool. little Kodamas. I have, I have like five cool. or six little Kodama figures that I have up on shelves in my house. Yeah. They're like my favorite. I, I thought that like when I first saw them, I was like, oh, these are weird. Yeah. But then as they started to like interact with each other and interact with the And they world, run around the, it the, was the branches. So, they were just really like, little, little little guys. And they make a cool noise. They like rattle their heads. And yeah. They're like, like this. Yeah, they're like little tree spirits. Yeah, yeah. I like the really little cute. tree spirits. I think overall, this is probably one of the first medias that we've watched that I feel like hit every single thing that I would want from media except for the LGBTQ in, in a way the POC in a way in a way but honestly from an American standpoint all of these characters are yeah I think POC like depends on where you're from too yeah but also like yeah, yeah. they're all Japanese and the writing is all in Japanese and the you know the signs are all in Japanese like they don't yeah at least not in the dubs that I watch. They don't change any of that. For, the signs, yeah. Yeah, they don't change the signs or the, you know, when Satsuke is writing to her mom, they don't change the letters. The words, yeah. Here's a picture of me as a crab. <laughs> <laughs> that was really funny. It's a very 10-year-old thing to do, Yeah, she's making her crabby. Here's a picture of me as a crab. <laughs> That's cute. But I think this is probably one of the first ones that we've done for the podcast that kind of hits... Yeah. Everything that I would want from a piece of media yeah. coming from it from a, a viewpoint of someone who is feminist and progressive and Yeah, I think they do a, they do a great job. Miyazaki Studio Ghibli does a great job with all of their movies in that in that way. Mm -hmm. I just think they do a good job of representing the real world. Mm -hmm. There we go. But in a fantastical way that makes it fun to watch. Yeah. And I think that that is sometimes lost on other forms of media that we have watched previously. I think even the Disney Princess movies, because they're all very fantastical, but I don't ever feel like, oh, I'm watching a Somebody's real life, life yeah. thing. Except for maybe some of the newer ones, like Tangled, I can kind of see a little but, bit. Yeah. But, but some of the Disney ones are hard because we know they are fairy tales. True, but I mean, when you watch these, you know that it's, it's a story. That's you know what true. I mean? You may not know the story, but like you can't watch Totoro and be like, oh, there's an actual Totoro out there somewhere. Yeah. Like, it's a fairy tale. And she even brings it up a couple of times. Like, oh, the Totoro, like, from your book? Like, from your storybook? Yeah. And stuff like that. Like, 
So they're still presented as like yeah. fairy tales, but not not in the same way. It is different. Yeah. You're right. But I still feel like the emotion that they get is very different from the emotion that other pieces of media that we've done get. Yeah. I think it's the difference between empathy and sympathy. Mm-hmm. Like, you can really empathize with these movies. You yeah. can get into them and you can feel the feelings yourself. Whereas when you're watching, like, the Disney princesses, you're like, oh, I'm, I feel bad for her because this bad thing is happening. Or, oh, I'm happy for her because this happy thing is happening. But you aren't getting that same feeling Yeah, you. Except for in some of the more modern ones, I think they've done a slightly better job. They're getting better. Yeah. You're, it's a lot easier to immerse yourself in Miyazaki films than it is necessarily in the princess films mm-hmm. and to be fully taken in by those stories. Yeah, I yeah. Say. I do agree with that. Yeah. Miyazaki also he makes sure that there's downtimes in his stories. Yeah, so like true. if you if you think about some of the more modern movies, and I always go back to Cars because if you watch that movie, it is action, 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 something, something, problem, problem, action, 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 action. Where when you watch a Miyazaki movie, it's like it's a roller coaster. Like you have some high stuff going on, and then you have some very just like chill times yeah. where like they're standing at the bus stop in Totoro. Mm-hmm. Like it's not Are a high they in action. The yeah, like yeah. it's not a high action scene, but there's still something going on. Mm-hmm. Like even in Spirited Away, like Chihiro and, and Lynn are just sitting on the porch, just talking mm-hmm. at one point. Or they're they're sitting on the train going out to um, Yubaba's twin sister's house. Mm-hmm. And they're just sitting on the train. Like there's a lot of just like some downtimes where everybody's just chill. You have time to contemplate the things that you've already watched. And, and you can, it, it helps immerse yourself because that's how real life is. Yeah. It, real life isn't like go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. You have times where you just kind of sit in your house like, all right, well. I guess I'll read today, maybe. <laughs> like, right, you know. yeah. It's nice to have those breaks, because you're right, a lot of movies don't provide you that time to just yeah. be. Yeah. Mission Impossible is another one that just... I think all of the superhero like, movies are kind of like that, too. Yeah. yeah, they just clip right along. You don't have time to process what happened before. Right. Yeah, it, it, well, some of that may be a cultural thing as well, because yeah. superhero movies, Disney movies, all of those things, those are all American-made movies, right. whereas these are Japanese-made movies. Right. The, the, the emphasis on like, meditation and taking that time, yeah. and that's a, that's much more heavily placed in the DVs versus here, where it's the constant need to be busy. Like, I'm sitting here listening to you talk about, oh, yeah, you have a day where I guess I'll read. What the hell does that feel like? Because I can't remember last time I had a day without me feeling guilty that I didn't have to do anything. Well, that's also a side effect of mental illness. Absolutely. And of the way that our culture works. Right. We've been taught from a very young age that if you're not being quote-unquote productive, then you should feel guilty because something is bad is happening. That is capitalism. Like, that that is the capitalistic system that we have. Like, you have time to sit there, so you have time to... You have time to lean, you have time to clean. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, you know, same kind of thing it's just like yeah yeah all right um well that's it for this episode of femme fandom i'd like to thank our producer rick and as always our editor kate if you have any thoughts or questions please contact us you can do it through email we are femfandompod at gmail.com or you can get us on twitter which is femfandompod um i'm fern i'm at fern fandom i'm kate get me at geekery and coffee you can follow megan on twitter at cali rome and remember everyone no matter the fandom you're not alone bye <laughs>